Okay, today is Thursday, February the 10th, 2011. I don't think I have any announcements. I can't think. Oh, yes. Okay, Glory Be Girls will be on Wednesday, February the 16th, this month. Yeah, might be good weather too. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, opportunity to rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty word. gives us encouragement, strength, stability, everything that we need in order to fulfill your plan. So we pray that you will help us to fully concentrate so that we can take the spiritual information that we take in this evening, put it in long-term memory so that you can use us in order to further your, your plan. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may have noticed that there are still rumblings in the Mideast with regards to Egypt. Nobody knows for sure what's going to happen yet. They don't know if Mubarak is going to step down, if he's going to stay or what. Uh, I'm of the opinion that whatever it's going to ha- is going to happen, it doesn't look that good for the U.S. or Israel. I, it, that's just what it appears. Because Mubarak was uh, following Anwar Sadat who started... He was the first one that had uh, peaceful negotiations with Israel. And Mubarak followed that plan at least to a degree. And we don't know who's going to be in charge or what's going to happen. But any time that things are happening in the Mideast, Israel is always going to be involved. And if it does not bode well for Israel, it should be a neon light for us to see that Our time is growing shorter and shorter every day, for sure, until Jesus Christ returns. Now, we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this evening, which is a a chapter that is one of the most misunderstood chapters. And it deals with not only um, the second advent when Jesus Christ is going to return to set up his millennial kingdom, but the Thessalonians were very upset and it has to do with the timing of the rapture. And most people that you talk to, unfortunately, don't even know what the rapture is. They're not even familiar with the, ter- with the term. Others have all types of ideas about when it's going to take place. Now, one reason it's so important to us is because what we're studying in this portion of Scripture actually is probably one of the most definitive parts of Scripture as to when it will take place. And the when as to when it takes place is going to determine whether we're going to spend any time in the day of the Lord, Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation. And I don't know about you, but that is very important to me. I'm of the mindset, <clears throat> excuse me, from what I've studied in the Bible, that we are definitely not going to go through even one minute of the day of the Lord. And what we're going to see is the church in Thessalonica, 
church-age believers were very upset because they were told in three different sources, by spirit, by the word, and by a written letter, that the day of the Lord, the tribulation, had already begun. And so they were very upset. And I can understand why. If someone came to us, and remember the canon of Scripture was not completed at that time. In fact, this is one of the earlier epistles that, were, that was written. And we, we had an apostle that came to us and said, <clears throat> gave us the, the layout of eschatology of how things were going to go down. <clears throat> and then he had to leave. The next thing you know, <clears throat> they were uh, experiencing ongoing persecution. And there were those who said, well, we know for a fact that this is a result of the day of the Lord already beginning. And that's what this is dealing with. And so the reason that the news tonight and has been every night for the last nine or ten days has been so interesting is because it deals with the Mideast and Israel. All this has a part to play. Now, if you are sure, secure, and you can even go through the Bible for yourself and demonstrate that Jesus Christ is going to come and deliver us from the wrath to come. And you can even delineate that to other people to give them hope also. I would say that's very important, especially as we see the day of our Lord's return growing closer. So, with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. I have a little bit of introduction before we actually get into the exegesis of the verses. Thessalonians chapter 2. We learn from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians that he had informed them about the rapture but they were unclear about what would happen to believers who had already died. Remember, that's when 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They didn't know, well, were they just going to miss it? Were they going to be included? If so, how and so forth. So would they miss the rapture or would they be included? Paul addressed this issue in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That is the most specific scriptures dealing with the rapture, giving the details on it. He also told them that they would be, be delivered from the wrath to come. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. Now, here in this epistle, Paul again addresses their concerns. Liars and conspirators led them to believe that the day of the Lord had already begun. Had Paul lied to them? Had they missed the rapture and had to go through the judgments of the day of the Lord after all? This is why they were so excited about this. 
It's easy to see why they were so shaken. The first part of this chapter, that is chapter 2, was written to straighten out this matter. And Paul, writing them to straightening, straightening them out, also gives us the information we need to put all the information together and get a chronological timeline as to how these things are going to unfold. Here's the verse. Actually, it's one sentence. It's two verses. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a messenger or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. We start with the first word, which is now. And it's a, uh, a post-positive conjunction, or, and it's de. And it's used as a transition to introduce something else. Now, what was he talking about before this? Remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, 11, 12, right in there? He was talking about the second advent. It's going to be good news for those who are believers, but it's going to be extremely bad news to those who are unbelievers. So the topic before this had to do with Christ's second advent. You, I don't have to explain that. You all know when I, when I say second advent, this is when Christ is going to come down and he's going to go where? Basra. And he's going to take care of all the armies that have been lined, uh, uh, aligned against him and and within a short time, we're going to have Christ's millennial rule. That's the second advent. So that's what was being addressed. But now, and here we have the word now, there's a transition to introduce another subject, something else. The preaching, excuse me, the preceding subject dealt with what will take place at the second advent. Now Paul addresses their concerns concerning the rapture and the day of the Lord. And he says, we request you, brethren. Now, the Greek word for request is erotao, E-R-O-T-A-O, erotao. It's a verb and it's a present active indicative. That means they continue to make this request or beseeching them over and over again. Indicative mood. This was a reality. It was happening. It means to request, to entreat, to beseech. This word is not used here as an inquiry or interrogation. No verbal response was necessary. So when he says that uh, th this word erotao sometimes means is used as a question. A question is asked. It's an, uh, it's an like in an interrogation, and a verbal response would be necessary. But that's not how this word is used here. He addressed them as brethren, which could have had a common effect on them. Some have, had started to doubt whether they were truly believers and the fact that Paul called them brethren would be reassuring to them. Now, you can understand why they would start doubting whether they were even uh, saved or not. 
because Paul had already told them that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to return. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, in that first epistle, he gave them the details of how it was going to happen. That's what they were expecting. And they also were expecting that to happen before the day of the Lord takes place. But now, many of them started being shaken by lies that were told, and they thought, well, if the rapture had already taken place, maybe I wasn't a believer after all. So you can see why they were doubting their, even their own eternal security. They missed out on the rapture. They knew that it was believers that were going to be taken, and if the, they were in the day of the Lord, and they were supposed to be raptured before then, and they weren't raptured, well, golly, what's, is, was Paul lying to us? Was he telling us the truth and I'm left behind? I, I, what's going on here? So when he addressed them as brethren, that in itself would be reassuring to them and give them a measure of stability that some of them did not have because they had accepted the lies. With regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at it again where we have so far. Now we request or we beseech. making He's wanting something of them and he calls them brethren. With regards to our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're going to get into some of the subject matter of what he's addressing, what the issue has to, has to do with. The coming is the Greek word parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. It's a noun, genitive, singular, feminine. It means to be present, to arrive, a technical term used for the coming of Christ. One may ask, which coming, the rapture or the second advent? That's where people get really mixed up because a lot of people don't, distinguish that there's a difference between the rapture and the second advent. Some people even make a distinction, but they still think that these are going to happen at the same time. And some of them don't know anything at all about it. But when we're talking about in where we are right now, now if you're talking about the coming of Christ and you were back in the Old Testament, it would be looking forward to what? The, the first advent, right. But now, now we know that Christ has already come. Those prophecies have been fulfilled. And now in our state of time, when he's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't that be the typical response of most people? If they know that he's coming back to meet his believers in the clouds, the rapture, and that he's coming later, second advent, and the circumstances are completely different. Couldn't be more. It can't be one in the same event because the circumstances are antithetical. They're, they're just, the, just the opposite. So we're looking at two separate events. Second advent, Christ is actually going to touch down planet Earth. Rapture, not so. He meets us in the clouds. We go to him. Everything is different in these two events. But still, that doesn't give us the answer. We have got to understand or, or figure out what coming is he talking about here. The answer to the question is determined by the context of the verse. The Thessalonian believers were badly shaken in their composure. Now, why were they so shaken? Because they were afraid that the day of the Lord had already started. That's why they were shaken. 
If, they, if, if Paul had taught them that you have to go through a portion of the day of the Lord, if you have to go through some of the tribulation or all of the tribulation, and someone told them, well, we're in the tribulation now, they wouldn't be upset, would they? This is what they would expect because this is what Paul would have taught if he was referring to the day of the Lord and them going through it, which he did not. So they were upset because they didn't know. So, I'm going to ask you a few questions here to help figure this out. If the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ referred to the second advent and not the rapture, they wouldn't be upset. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be bent out of shape or shaken or anything. They knew that the judgments of the day of the Lord had to precede the second advent. So why all the distress? Do you see what I'm saying? When he's talking about the parousia and... Christ's coming, if it is referring to the second advent, then they wouldn't be upset because they knew that the day of the Lord had to precede that. Somebody got it. <laughs> All right. Furthermore, if they were expecting the suffering associated with the day of the Lord, the second advent would cause them to celebrate, not be upset. Their suffering would be over. Just, just follow me. That one reason that they thought and they bought the lie that they were in the suffering of the day of the Lord is because they were being persecuted. Now, if Paul was talking about uh, the coming of our Lord being the second advent, they wouldn't be upset. They would be celebrating. Because... What is the second, the second advent going to mean for those who are suffering under the persecution and the things of the day of the Lord? What are they going to do? They'll celebrate when Christ comes. And they wouldn't be upset. I can tell this is going to be harder than I thought because I can read y'all. I know what you're... You can't hide it. I know your body language and I know your faces. Just keep with me now. Here's the other side. On the other hand, if the coming of the... Lord Jesus Christ referred to the rapture, they would have great cause to be alarmed. If the day of the Lord had begun, it would mean that either they missed the rapture or Paul had lied to them and they would not be delivered from the wrath to come. Do you understand how we can tell? One reason we can tell that he has to be talking about the rapture is because they're upset. They were told that they don't have to go through the rapture. And now it appears like, if they believe the lie, that they do have to. On the other side of that coin, if Paul was referring to the second advent as to the coming of the Lord, they wouldn't be upset because they knew that the, the suffering, the, the day of the Lord, all the judgments and the wrath being poured out had to precede the coming of the Lord. And it, would not, it wouldn't do away or in any way a conflict with what Paul told them because they already knew that. They knew that there had to be suffering of the day of the Lord before the second advent. He wouldn't have been telling them anything that they didn't already know and it wouldn't be upsetting to them. Some of you are getting it and some of you are not. We'll just press on and maybe it will come out more as we go. Paul told them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, to wait for Jesus who would deliver them from the wrath to come. 
He told them that they were not destined for wrath because Jesus would deliver them from, uh, from it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. This is what, and we're going to go to these verses after a while to recharge your 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 batteries because it's been a while since we went there and they're probably a bit dull. So they were very upset because what they were told, what Paul explained to them was not coming to pass if indeed the lies being told to them were true and some of them had believed them and they were upset. I'm going to try it one more time. If he was talking about the second advent, let's look at the verse again up here. Now we re re request you, brethren, with regards to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming. Which one is it? Rapture? Or is it the second advent that he's talking about? If it's the rapture, they'd be greatly upset because Paul said you didn't have to go through it. And now they think they did, would have to go through it because people said that they were in the day of the Lord. If he was talking about the second advent here, which he is not, they wouldn't be upset. They already know Paul told them that the day of the Lord was going to precede the day, uh, the, the second advent. And if they were in the suffering of the day of the Lord, which they were not, but even if they were, it wouldn't be upsetting to them that the second, he's telling them about the second advent because they'd be celebrating because the, day, when the, the second advent is going to end the day of the Lord. Now, I can't say it any clearer than that, and some of you still aren't getting it, but we'll just press on. I know you're not. And I don't know what else to do other than to continue, and maybe a light will come on. Some of you are looking like this. It's okay. It's not your fault. It's my fault. Now, this, this will give you more information to demonstrate that he has to be talking about the rapture. He says, and our gathering together to him. We have the word for gathering together. It's episunagogo. That's E-P-I-S-U-N-A-G-O-G-E. It's a noun. It's a genitive singular feminine. It means to assemble or to cause to gather together. You know, you have the, the from a similar root word, synagogue, comes from synagogue. The Jews go to a synagogue, and all it means is the assembling place where they assemble, where they meet. Now, this is a quote from the Thessalonian epistles, Chicago, Moody. Um, well, you, you can see all the, all the window dressing there. This is a quote. These assemblies are a precious foretaste and anticipation of future assembly of the saints unto him when our Lord will be present, not as now by his spirit only, but in the visible glory of his person. When we assemble here like we have tonight, it's just a foreshadow of when we are going to assemble when he gathers us together along with all other church-age believers of all time, bring us together to that gathering place as a symbol. And when we gather, what this guy is saying is when we gather together here as the ecclesia, 
You know, we are the ecclesia. We are the church, not these church buildings. We are the ecclesia. Then this is just practice. This is just a, a very small preview of what it's going to be like when we gather together then. I thought that was pretty neat for insight. Church-age believers will be gathered together to him at the rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16. You all should know that. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the angel, uh, archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and so on. You, this is what we went over in detail. And therefore, will not be gathered together with Christ at the second advent. When do we gather together with Christ? At the rapture. They, referring to church-age believers, which includes us, will already be with Him when He comes from heaven to defeat His enemies on earth. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 14. So it can't be talking about the second advent when we're gathered together to Him because at the second advent, we're not going to be gathered together to Him, we're already going to be with Him. We're going to be following behind Him. He's going to bring us with Him from heaven. He's not going to be gathering us together. He's already done that. I'm a bit worried about verse 2. I don't know. Verse 1 didn't go over as good as I thought it would. But it is important for you to recognize that He's talking about the rapture here. There are those that try to make it the second advent. It won't fit. That you, may not, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure. Now, the word shaken here is saluo, S-A-L-E-U-O. It's an infinitive, aorist, passive. And it means to move to and fro. You know, when you, sh- when you wave, the same word is used when you wave goodbye. It's something moving to and fro. You shake your hand when you wait. It means well, to move in mind. There's none of this straight down. But when you back and forth, comfortable. And I'm the kind of person, if I let go, I just shut down. I've got to take care of that. I can't function. I can't do one of the things when they're telling me. Forget that. The old that were shaken. They were telling them they were neglecting. They are distorted. And Paul is sorting this out. And he's saying, and he starts out referencing the rapture when he says, the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to him. That's referring to the rapture, not the second advent. Second advent, you can't even squeeze in that box. I had to learn that sometimes you can't, especially when you're in relationships, you can't can't make things right on your timetable. When things are when when I know that someone I care about is is upset with me or angry with me or whatever, I want to okay. Let's sit down right here. Let's hash this thing out. I don't want to have this turmoil in my soul. Let's get it. Let's 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 sort it out right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Well, I might be ready, but they may not. And so I had to learn that sometimes you have to deal with this unrest in your soul until that person is ready to talk. Because a lot of times, if you've upset them, they don't want to talk. I want to talk, but they don't want to talk. And so I have to just deal with it. And the way you deal with that is make sure that you're right with with the Lord. 
Whatever it is, it's an anxiety. Your, your, your relationship is kind of in limbo, and you want it right, and you want it right right now. I mean, that's the way guys are. I, don't, I, don't even have, I won't even speculate on what goes through women's minds in these things, but I know most guys will say, all right, you know, I messed up, or you messed somebody messed up, let's sit down and find out who messed up, sort this thing out, we'll be good. Well, the women sometimes, well... It might take a little more time. They might not be ready to sort it out right now or whatever. <sighs> saluto, shaken. This was a this this saluto was intense. I mean, when you're not right with a person and you want to sort it out, that's one thing. But to think that you might not even be saved because maybe the rapture took place and you missed it. Or this person that you have put so much faith in that you've learned that changed your entire life. Now you're a believer. You're out of darkness. You're in the light. And you love it. Everything's going great. And now to find out, is this person a liar? Did he lie to you that you really are going to have to go through the day of the Lord and this suffering? You can see what this is tremendous unrest. So to be, oh, and you notice the quickly here? This is a little barb. This is a little jab that Paul is putting in there that you may not be quickly shaken. You know, he, what he's saying here is, why are you shaken at all? These are lies. I don't care if you have a letter or whatever else. Paul wrote epistles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he was teaching, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's very mild, but you can't, you see it? He could have said, why are you shaken? No, he says, why are you so quickly shaken? Somebody comes along and says, uh, uh, the Lord told me that we're in the, we're in the tribulation. Are you going to buy that? You, you get a letter from someone that, that's countermanding everything that I said, and you're just going to buy it right off? So that, that's a little barb. Then it says, from your composure. And the word composure in the Greek is nous. Some of you are familiar with that word. N-O-U-S. It's noun, genitive, singular, masculine. And it means mind, mental perception, and apprehension. Then I have a, a quote here from uh, Zodiades, Complete Word Study Dictionary. And he says, while in the Old Testament the heart, meaning the cardia, is used to represent man's whole mental and moral activity, the word mind or nous, in the New Testament is used to denote the faculty of thinking. So if you said that, or if the scripture said that you may not be quickly shaken from your thinking, it would be, it would, actually that would be, I think, a better translation than composure. It's what they were thinking. They had erroneous concepts that they've started to believe that was different from what Paul had taught them. And so it's in your thinking that can cause this. It should be. It all starts there anyway. If you're content, if you're secure, if you're stable, if you have courage and all these things, it comes from what? News. Your thinking. But if your thinking is skewed, if it's got static, if, if, if there's fear involved, if there's things that just don't add up and you, you want to get it straight, that's what this quickly shaken was. 
Now we have two verses here that have to do with this last phrase. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. But if any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that a, that, that's a great promise, isn't it? How many of you have recent... I don't want to see any hands, by the way, but this is a rhetorical question. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? How many of us need wisdom? We all need wisdom, don't we? And we have a promise like this and we're not using it? What's wrong with us? We ask God for wisdom who gives to all men generously without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Was it, was it, what we have again? Movement. Waves, see? That same saluo. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you ask the Lord for wisdom and you think you have about as much luck getting wisdom from God as you do winning the, lo the lottery, according to this verse, that prayer isn't going to do you much good, is it? 2 Peter 3.16 Some things, this was talking that Paul taught, are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. And this is what happened. There were people within their midst that were untaught and unstable and they distorted things that Paul had said and they do the rest of the Scripture and they do that to what? Their own destruction. I encourage you to use Scripture and use it as often as you can. But I warn you, when you use Scripture, don't distort it. Get it right. So he says he didn't want them to be uh, shaken in their thinking or be disturbed. Now we have another Greek word here for disturbed, which is throweo. T-H-R-O-E-O. -E it's an infinitive and it's the present passive. So the, the present tense means they were, it's an ongoing being disturbed. And the passive voice means that they received it. The this is the, the definition of throat. Uh, uh-oh. The cry or noise of a tumultuous multitude to make a clamor or tumult, meaning to disturb, trouble, or terrify. And where's all this taking place? Right in here, in your thinking, in your soul. It doesn't matter how well things seem to be going on the outside. When a person is shaken and disturbed on the inside, things are unbearably awful for him. 
See, a lot of people try to assuage the instability and the thoreo in their soul by, I'll buy a new purse. I'll buy a new dress. Guys, I'll buy a boat. I'll, you know, whatever it is. And they, they try to assuage this, this troublesome uh, thing that is going on in their soul with things. Does that work? Of course not. And so this is, you can't get rid of it just by trying to sublimate. When the adversity and troubles of this life penetrate the doctrinal shield around your soul and your spiritual equilibrium is shaken, you're in trouble. Now, I'm not going to take the time. I have uh, slides of this. Some of you can remember. One of them is it's a circle. It's the command post of your soul. And inside it, we have faith, rest, and rebound. Uh, a lot of doctrines in here. And around it, I mean, this is, for, no, that's just your soul. Around it is a shield that has all the doctrines in it. And then on the outside, you have all these arrows coming in, trying to penetrate that doctrinal shield. And what I'm telling you is, if you don't want to have this, this trouble in your soul, it's the doctrine that will pro protect your soul and prevent the exigencies of life. All these circumstances from penetrating into your soul. Doctrine will not keep the circumstances from happening. Your car is not going to start. Your computer will have troubles. Your oven will go haywire. All these, you know, it's not going to stop, but what it will stop is you not doing a meltdown over it. It's, the, it's, it's not the circumstances that's the problem. The problem is that you let your, your doctrinal shield down and they penetrate your soul. And that's what's happened here. They were disturbed. Their doctrinal shield. Did y'all ever watch uh, Star Trek? And the Cleons or Kling, what, Klingons, Klingons were coming. And they, what was the first thing they did? Let's get that shield up. Boop. Well, that's what we need to do in our soul when we have all these exigencies come in and they're trying to penetrate and get us all surly and angry and bitter and afraid and just to be a regular grouch. What we need to do is, oops, let's get that doctrinal shield. Well, we, I shouldn't say it. We shouldn't get it up. It should already be there. It should be up full time. There are three ways that they receive lies and false doctrine. First of all, either by a spirit... Now, they were shaken in their thinking and their composure, and they had this trouble. It was very serious. And here's the reasons why. Three ways. First of all, either by a spirit. Now, referring to demon influence that seems to be ever-present in every generation. Today, you, no doubt, were attacked by demonic forces. And I'm not saying that you had to get a broom and run them out of your house. But if you watched any TV, if you heard the radio, if you read certain things, there is very powerful forces, demonic forces that try to influence you. And the, what they will try to do, like we were talking about Israel and Egypt earlier. Most of you know what's going on. Well, the forces of the demonic spirits will try to get you to be worried about that. 
What if you had somebody that you knew living over there? You know, there's a lot of uh, Egyptians that live in the United States. What if you were a Christian who was a, an Egyptian and you saw this? Well, that would certainly, you better have your doctrinal shield up or else you would be worried and you'd be all, all in a dither. People spread lies but are usually influenced or possessed uh, uh, by demons to do so. So people spread lies. See, we deal with the people. We don't see the demons. But what we don't realize is that there are demon influences that are motivating them and pushing them to do it. And even in some cases, possessed. That would be unbelievers only. I think a lot of them, a lot of the demonic activity takes place in the, where there's a lot of power. They're not, they're not so much interested in the little... Uh, we're, they have bigger fish to fry than Country Bible Church for the most part. But I'm not saying there is a demonic influence that tries to get us off track. But we know that it's very powerful in places where there's big decisions that's going to affect a lot of people. That's where there's a lot of influence there. It is the light of Bible doctrine that shines on false doctrines showing how bogus, counterfeit, and fake they really are. That's why you have to have that doctrinal shield. That's why it's so important to have it up. Because it's the truth. See, Satan is the great deceiver. And he packages things where even growing believers can be deceived. That's why sometimes we need to ask for wisdom. Uh, something isn't adding up. I don't understand this. Just like some of your faces when I went through that first verse, you were—you had a little little shake in this there because it wasn't getting through. So we have to have that 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 doctrine up, or else the influences are going to penetrate. The second one was by a message. Actually, the Greek word there for message is logos. Most of you know what that Greek word means. It means word. It's a noun, not to singular masculine. It means word, both the act of speaking and the thing spoken. A word as uttered by the living voice, a speaking speech utterance. There's al there are always those who say something and claim that it is directly from God. Some call this divine utterance, which is totally unbiblical. Have you ever had someone tell you, Oh, are you sure about Oh, yes, God told me. Really? God told you? I, I know this happens to people. It just hardly ever happens to me. I can't remember the last time somebody told me that God told them. Now, if somebody tells me that God told them something, I'm going to say, Wow! What does he sound like? Do you sound like... Um, Charlton Heston? And most people will say, well, no, he didn't really speak to me. Oh, okay. Now, God does speak to us through His Word and the direction of the Holy Spirit. But we, that's a tricky wicket. When we're talking about divine guidance and the Holy Spirit being involved, a lot of people will morph right over into emotions and they have emotions going on that are prodding them to go this way. The next thing you know, they're going that way and somebody asks them about it. Oh, yeah, uh, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, how do you know? 
Well, I was moved. There's all kinds of ways to move. So when somebody says, see, a message, I've had uh, some teenagers in my class come to me and they say, uh, so-and-so said such and such. I said, they did. Well, you ought to have enough doctrine to knock that back at them. Yeah, but they said that God told them. God told me I was supposed to go to the store. You know, something really. And then I have to start talking to them about the fact that there is no extra-biblical revelation. God reveals Himself in creation, including the stars, and through the Bible. No dreams, visions, or prophets, none of those things are extant any longer because we have the completed canon of Scripture. And when that Scripture was finished, when that last dot put down on that last period, that's it. And see, that, that makes things a lot easier because if anybody could come up and say something and say, well, how do you know? Well, God told me. Well, you're going to have some conflicts because you might have somebody, well, that's strange because God told me just the opposite. Then what are you going to do? Hmm. Some call this divine utterance. It is totally unbiblical. God reveals himself, I just said this, by creation of his word. Now that the canon of Scripture is completed, God no longer reveals himself through prophets, angels, apostles, dreams, visions, or direct discourse. Those who claim he does are either ignorant or very confused. Or the third way was from a letter as if from us. Evidently, there was a pseudo-letter circulating that supposedly came from Paul alleging that the day of the Lord had begun. So, Paul made certain that the Thessalonians would know for certain that this letter came from him. He himself wrote the last part in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. He was doing it in his own hand. He wanted to make sure this one is legit. And then we get to this last part here of this second verse. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Here we get to the content of the letter and the words from the conspirators that were patently false. This is what it's all about. Everything that he was talking about in the first two verses Line up to this. What was the problem? Here's the problem. They said that the day of the Lord has come. Paul goes on to explain why the day of the Lord could not possibly have come. The judgment phase of the day of the Lord, the tribulation or Daniel's 70th week, whatever you want to call it, is for Israel and unbelievers. Not for church age believers. Including the Thessalonians who were part of the body of Christ and soon to become the bride of Christ, which we will soon become the bride of Christ. This is what it's about. There's a lot at stake to understand this rightfully. What we're Let's see what time is it. Uh, well, I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do rather than do it because we don't have enough time to do it. The issue now is, what is this thing about the day of the Lord? 
Does anybody remember going over the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Yeah. Okay, if I said, all right, I want you to stand up and tell me everything you know about the day of the Lord. How long could you talk? Hmm? I'm not trying to put you down. What I'm telling you is that a lot of water has crossed on the bridge since we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the reason it's so important to know what the day of the Lord is and where to place it and so forth is because it has to do with what the, the uh, Thessalonians were concerned with as well as what we're concerned with. Are y'all concerned? Does it matter to you whether you're going to have to go through the day of the Lord through the tribulation? I mean, maybe none of us will. Maybe we'll all die before it happens. But we don't know that. And it's very possible that the day of the Lord, which is a time of judgment, at least in the first phase of it, is going to happen during our lifetime. How can you have the blessed hope? How can you have crowns and decorations if you don't ever think about that or if you just say it's not important? The blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? That God is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. See, most people don't even think about this because they don't, they don't even know enough to distinguish between the rapture and the second advent. There's so many believers out there that says, well, when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's all I know. That's all I need to know. Wrong. They will be held accountable for that attitude. They're going to be disgraced at the judgment seat of Christ, but that's on them. As far as we're concerned, it's very important. God evidently wants us to know about it because He sure covers it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Revelation. And when you get into the minor prophets, I, have a, I did a, a search on Libronics on the day of the Lord, and up until, you, up until Isaiah, it doesn't appear one time. And then boom, 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 boom. There's seven hits of the day of the Lord in Zephaniah in one book. So all over the place, there's a, there's a lot to say about it. And we need to have it square in our own soul so that, first of all, we won't be worried like they were worried that we're going to have to go through it. But we should know it so well that we can encourage other believers that they don't have to go through it either. And some of them, to, to a lot of people, this means nothing because they don't know how bad it's going to be. The Bible says it's going to be the worst time that there ever has been or ever will be. Now, there's been some bad times in the past, but it hasn't been worldwide. You didn't have one-fourth of the population being wiped out. You didn't have a, a third of the trees dying. It's, it's going I mean, when you start looking at the specifics of it, it is going to be horrible. The people going through it are going to say, they're going to run into the, the caves and say, let the rocks fall down on us and put us out of this misery. It's designed that way. It's designed because God is going to do these things for a purpose. You know, I was going to get into... Uh, when we get into the day of the Lord, we're going to go to the six seals. And the uh, first seal has to do with the rider on the white horse. 
We're talking about the Antichrist coming on the scene. And in a few verses from now, in Second Thessalonians, we're going to see that something has to happen before the day of the Lord comes about, and that is the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. And to show you how much you have to pay attention, or there are those that would agree, yeah, he has to be revealed, but he's not going to be revealed until the midpoint of the tribulation when he goes in and says that he's God. That's when he's going to be revealed. Up until that time, the day of the Lord hadn't even begun yet, which means the first half of the tribulation, believers would be liable to go through it. You following me? But when you look at that verse, this is what's so wonderful about the Bible. When you really slow down and look at it closely, it says that it was given to him to come forth and he was given a crown. It doesn't mean that he did it on his own. What I'm, I'm giving you just a quick preview. God brings him on the scene. The Antichrist is restrained until it's the right time and God is going to bring him, allow him to have a crown and to go forth and conquer to, in order to conquer. And then you're going to have war and then you're going to have famine and then you're going to have pestilence and there's going to be martyrs. And all these things are going to be happening. And I'm asking you, do you know why? What is God's purpose behind this? It's as close to you as your daily news, and it has to do with Israel. God is going to judge Israel for their stiff-necked rebellion and rejection of Jesus Christ. That's one of the main reasons. Plus, He's righteous and just, and unbelievers who are evil and wicked are going to get their upcomings. But God is bringing all this about. And we're going to, I'm going to show you through the Bible that... The Antichrist has to be revealed for the day of the Lord, but it's not going to be the midpoint of the tribulation. It can't be. It's going to be right up there at the first, the first seal, when Antichrist comes riding in on a white horse. And by the way, is that not a counterfeit? Jesus Christ is going to come in second advent riding what? A white horse. Everything he does, he doesn't even have enough imagination to come up with something new. All he can do is fabricate something that is counterfeit. And I'm going to show you how it has to be at the beginning, right at the first seal, is when he's going to be revealed. And the, that which restraineth has to be removed. We've got to deal with that. Now, that's going to happen before the day of the Lord. And it's going to be technical in some aspects. And I hope that you stay plugged in because all these little nuances are so important for you to have the keys for it to, go, for it to come to pass. When Paul is in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he's talking about the rapture, he says, for we will all will rise. He uses we and us. When he's talking about the day of the Lord, he's talking about them and they. Not, not, he doesn't include himself or any believers. There's so many keys that I'm going to show you. And when we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to go through it again quickly, especially with the day of the Lord, you're going to see why it has to be a certain way. And when you understand that, not only are, are you getting the wisdom that you maybe are asking for, it's going to give you the stability of soul. You don't have to worry about going through all that. And it's going to motivate you to be able to tell others how great our God is and how accurate His Word is. All over the Bible from Isaiah and Zephaniah and Amos and Malachi, and then you go into 
Daniel, and Daniel does tell us in Revelation, and and now we're in Second Thessalonians. You, you take all these from different writers and you put it all together, and it's just like the notes of a symphony. You have just all these dots and these lines, and it comes from boom. You put it all together, and it's beautiful. And that's what God has done with this. But you have to be interested. You have to stay plugged in, and you're going to see it. And then when someone says, "Oh no, we got to go through part of the rapture," I mean, part of the of the uh, tribulation, you can say, "Oh really?" And you can see why. And in Second Thessalonians, they were upset because they thought they were going through it. And Paul said, "No, not so. These things have to happen before it ha- before it comes." But the terms themselves, if you don't understand clearly enough what the day of the Lord is and how why it can't happen uh, at the at the midpoint of the tribulation because if the Antichrist is revealed right at the first seal, right off the bat, then that opens the door for the day of the Lord to start right then, not back back uh, three and a half years later. And it can't be then because the, de- the description of the day of the Lord says it is darkness and it is horrible suffering that's going to go go on up into that point. And we're going to read right here in Second Thessalonians talking about that uh, it comes like a thief in the night. We saw that already in 1 Thessalonians 5. And when they're saying peace and safety, do you think in the midpoint of the tribulation that people are going to be saying peace and safety after a fourth of the population has, has died and all the calamity that's, had, that's just taken place? You need to be able to do this in your own soul well enough that you can explain it to someone else. And that's why we're going over 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again it has to do with darkness and light. There's that much distinction. And you, not me, when somebody says, well, I'm dealing with somebody who says that, that, that we have to go through the, the, the rapture, I mean the, the tribulation, don't call me to handle it. I don't say, where were you? I was there. What were you doing? Your body was there. Is this important? It's part of the Word of God. This whole chapter is dealing with that. So I'm kind of giving you a preview of where we're going, what we're going to be handling in this chapter. Now we got we introduced here the day of the Lord. Most people don't understand that. It has phases. It has a, a broad phase. It has a narrow phase. And when we put all this together, it harmonizes and it clicks. And I won't be seeing you looking like that again. <laughs> well, that's okay. You just can't, you know, you're my flock and you can't get by with anything because I know you. I know when you're getting it. I know when you're not. And we're going to get it. Just hang in there. Let's close. Father, thank you for your mighty word and how you have spelled out these things for us by the specific writers over hundreds of years of time, different people, different personalities, and yet your message comes through loud and clear. We pray that you will help us to stay plugged in This is important or you wouldn't have revealed it to us. And it's exciting because of what we see happening right in our own day. So we pray that you will help us and that the Holy Spirit will enlighten us so that we can give you even more glory, that you you will pull all these things together and even in eternity past, you knew that this was going to happen and now you reveal it to us. We thank you for this and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.